I yield myself, body, soul, and spirit, dear Jesus, with all my unworthiness, with all my sinfulness, with all my infirmities, Jesus, let your strength be made perfect in my weakness tonight, Lord. As I speak forth the word that you desire that I speak forth, Lord, that it may be your, your message, not mine. And Lord, give us the ears to receive your, your message, and Lord, sensitize my own heart. Take this heart of stone out of me, Lord, and replace it with the heart of flesh, Jesus, tonight. Sensitize me that I may be ready to receive, Lord, the words that you speak to me, that I may carry them to your people, that I may be a yielded vessel, a vessel fit for the Master's use, that I may have the grace, Lord, to lift up your name and to exalt you, Jesus, the name above every name. I ask and pray this in Jesus' most precious and lovely name, and all the people said, Amen. Amen. And praise the Lord. Amen. And praise the Lord. And that's what we're doing here tonight. We're continuing to praise Him because that's the way heaven's going to be someday. We're going to be praising Him all the time. And I hope no one here tonight is tired. Because if you're tired now, you're going to be tired of heaven. You better get used to being in the presence of the Lord. And to have that endurance. Not only endurance, that's not the word, but the capacity to enjoy the presence of Jesus. And to be with other brothers and sisters. Oh, where so many of us are so private. We like to lead private lives, and I know I'm that way too. I've been guilty. You know, we get tired of being with other people and all of the Lord. But I don't, you know, and then the Lord reminds me, if Sevios, you know, heaven's going to be, you have a lot of company every day. <laughs> One thing about heaven, you're not going to be alone. There's no privacy in heaven. <laughs> Glory to God. How many of you believe that? <laughs> All right. I'll tell you, when I think about that, it perks me up. I'll tell you, I was kind of tired tonight as the Lord. It's a long month, a long period of preparation tonight. And the Lord said, wait a minute, Stefano, uh, you know, when you come to heaven, you're going to be with a lot of people. You can't withdraw and say I'm tired. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me know about it and reminding me. Praise his holy name. So the Holy Spirit came into my life, and I believe in a Sherabadah because he has shown me that this is an apocalyptic phenomenon. My beloved brothers and sisters, the, re the Holy Spirit renewal is not some kind of a religious fad today. It's not something that has come up just by accident, fortuitously, something that came and is going to leave, some kind of another religious movement, like many others that took place in the history of the church. But there is something special, extraordinary about the move of the Holy Spirit in our own day. And I want to speak to you about this tonight. Because one thing that's lacking in the Orthodox Church is the sense of the return of Jesus Christ. Very few priests talk about the return of Jesus. There's no sense of the eternal. Everything, we just function like uh, Jesus will never come back. 
like we're running some kind of a religious club. We do our services on Sunday without any concern about eternity. We don't relate what we do with eternity and with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So part of the Holy Spirit renewal is the restoration of the message of the gospel. The gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ and of his eternity in glory to judge both the living and the so there is something eschatological about the renewal, my beloved brother and sister. Wherever you are, whatever city you live in, remember, if you're part of the renewal of the Orthodox Church, you are part of God's move, the move of God. It's not a man's movement. Because it says there in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It says, you can turn to uh, the book of Joel, chapter 3. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. So the Lord prophesied in the last days, he will pour out his Holy Spirit. And we are living in the last days. The last days of the last days. These words were fulfilled on the day of Pentecost initially, but not totally. They were not fulfilled totally because there are the last days of the last days. There are two stages of the last days. The last days began with the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's the period of the Christian era. Amen? But there's another period when the last days will take place just prior to the return of Jesus. What, re what proof is there for that? Because there are many that object in the church, I remember hearing in Greece, who refuse this and they say, no, the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. What is this? Well, Joel says, the sun shall be turned into darkness on that day, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord comes. Has the sun turned into darkness yet? No. Has the moon turned into blood yet? No. Has the Holy Spirit been poured upon all flesh yet? Was it poured out upon all flesh in the day of Pentecost? No. no. It was poured out upon how many? 120 persons in the upper room. That is evidence in itself that we are awaiting. Indeed, we are living in the day of fulfillment. This is the age of fulfillment. And it is also the age of Expectation, both. Expectation and fulfillment. But already we are living in the days of fulfillment. That we're living in the days prior to the return of Jesus Christ. There is something different about the day in which we are living. It is not just another day. There is 
something special about the age in which we're living? In other words, prophecy is being fulfilled. The Word of God is being fulfilled for the end times. It is the last hour and God is moving sovereignly in His Holy Spirit to prepare us for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are part of that sovereign move of God. How privileged we are. And I thank Jesus every day that He could look upon me, an unworthy servant, and single me out in all my, my shortcomings and my limitations, my human infirmities, and to call upon me for ministry. I don't want to say leadership. He's the leader, but for ministry in the renewal movement. It was the least thing I ever expected. And I never believed in my wildest dreams I would be involved in a ministry like this. Because I was a very establishment man. I was a law and order priest. And now I'm violating all my original principles of law and order. I'm letting the Holy Spirit have His way in my life and my ministry. God is having His way and He's pouring out His Holy Spirit to prepare for the return of Jesus. Why? Why is He pouring out His Holy Spirit? Because He loves us. Because of His infinite mercy, He is stepping into our human impasse. Into our, our human sinful situation. In other words, God is merciful upon us because we have been incapable of renewing the church. Indeed, what have we done? We have brought the church into a state of desolation. And the Lord is coming now to lift the church out of desolation into restoration. He knows that we cannot renew the church. The church will not be renewed by some church committees, by some church programs. No bishop, no archbishop, no patriarch, no priest, no prophet can ever restore the church to where it belongs. So God comes in our human impasse and He does what you and I cannot do in His mercy. His, what does it mean in His sovereign grace? Even though we're not worthy, we're sinners, we're in a state of rebellion and apostasy in the church, yet in His mercy He comes in to lift us out so that His divine purposes may be fulfilled ultimately that Satan might not have his way in the last resort. In other words, Satan won't have the last word. Who's going to write the last chapter of human history? God or Satan? God is going to write the last chapter. Who's going to have the last word in human history? God in His Son, Jesus Christ. So He's pouring out His Holy Spirit in His mercy, but when He pours out His mercy, He never coerces anybody. But He 
offers His mercy free, unmerited for us to receive in obedience. He gives us of this outpouring of His Holy Spirit to counteract the powers of darkness that are infiltrating the church of the living Christ. That brings in another ingredient I need to dwell on for a few minutes so that you can get the complete picture, my beloved brothers and sisters, so that you might get the perspective of where you belong in this picture of the renewal of the church. That you may know your position. The position in which God has put you. And I want you to turn with me to Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's time for the Orthodox to think about the return of Jesus. One way in which we can restore the church is to preach the gospel of the return of Jesus Christ. As long as we silence the message of the return of Jesus, there will always be complacency and we're going to learn to live with Greek, Greek uh, festivals. <laughs> because there is nothing exciting to look forward to except the annual Greek festival. What takes up all of our time around the year? The Greek festival. As soon as the festival is over, we have the first meeting of the committee for the following year's festival. Uh, and it absorbs, it is all absorbing, all consuming in our Greek churches. In a sense, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Greek festival. <laughs> they keep the church alive. Well, we understand what's going on. We're not in the dark. And I want to believe that you, every one of you, are enlightened about this. Why? The wide wherefore of the spiritual decay and decline in our churches. And I'm not talking about only Orthodox churches. I don't have time to talk about the Protestants. Tonight. I don't have time to talk about the Roman Catholics and their mess. Every church has its own mess, but the Lord is raising up prophets in every church. So I'm not going to bother to go to the Pentecostals when I've got work to do at home, house cleaning in my own home. I'm not going to go to the Pentecostals. Why? Because the Lord has taken provision for them. He doesn't need you and me for them. But He has raised you and me for the household of faith, of the Orthodox household of faith. He's not going to raise up Chinese to bring here from China. <laughs> He's not going to bring Czechoslovakians for the Greek Orthodox. He's going to raise up Greeks, Orthodox, for the Greeks. He's going to raise up Serbians for the Serbians, Ukrainians for the Ukrainians, uh, Arab Orthodox for the Arab Orthodox, ideally, at least as a starter. So let's stay home and understand the complete picture. 
that uh, the bazaars are taking over our churches and uh, our, our church annual balls and our annual dances. In other words, the Church of Christ has lost its first love. What's the first love? The love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And to acknowledge Him as preeminent in all things. Oh, but Father, that's already in our books. You know, Jesus is uh, uh, preeminent. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. It's in our books. In the theology books, in the doctrinal books, in the catechisms. Amen. That's the trouble. It's all in the books between the covers of our theological books. And we put the theological books away we stuff them away in a shelf and we say, well, now we got a church to run here. Leave Christ in those books. Let's read chapter 2 so we can understand what's going on here. You know why, my beloved? Excuse me, I have to bring this up. So many of us get discouraged. We lose heart when we see pressures around us. And we start losing hope and we get discouraged desperate, we get despondent, we get depressed, and we lose heart, we get disheartened. And we say, what's the use? I'm not going to bother with the priest, I'm not going to bother with the people in this church. But we have to understand what's going on. Chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, by our gathering together unto Him. You know what we're doing here this weekend? He's gathering us together. We are gathered together for whom? For Father Eusebio uh, Stefano? Unto Him, Jesus. You see why it's important that we gather together? This is a rehearsal. This is the rehearsal for the big day. A dress rehearsal for the coming of Jesus. We're going to be gathered together. That ye be not soon shaken in mind nor be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, there were some believers in the church of Thessaloniki who were expecting Jesus very soon, in fact, uh, day by day. And some of them were uh, getting out of hand. In other words, they were disrupting the orderly operation of the church with a lot of uh, sensationalism about the return of Jesus. So Paul is restraining them and he's saying in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day? The return of Jesus. Except there come a falling away first. What is the Greek word for falling away? Apostasia. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So Jesus will not come again until two events take place. Number one, the falling away first. Apostasia. What does that refer to? Falling away from the faith. Falling away from Jesus. In other words, departing away, being faithless to Jesus and turning to other pursuits. 
in our lives and in our churches. Falling away can take on two aspects. I'll pay attention to this. One aspect of falling away is denying the basic doctrines of the gospel. Denying the virgin birth of Jesus. There are many Protestant denominations today, Methodists, uh, uh, some uh, Presbyterians, some Episcopalians, uh, congregations that deny the virgin birth. They deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Churches that at one time championed the apostolic faith, now they deny. They deny the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. They deny the atoning uh, blood of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, some Episcopalian churches. And this is called liberalism. Liberalism is flooding particularly the Protestant world, but it's also touching the Roman Catholic world. Thank God we don't have this aspect of the apostasia in orthodoxy. One thing about orthodoxy we need to appreciate. You know what it is? Creedal stability. Amen. In other words, we have not denied the apostolic faith, the original gospel. We hold to them. We have other problems. I'm going to talk about them now. But we don't have this problem. Thank God. The best place for renewal is where? In the Orthodox Church. Because we have the basic doctrinal theological presupposition. But how can you have a renewal when you don't believe in the Trinity? When you don't believe in the divinity, there's no divinity of Christ, there's no resurrection of Christ. How can you have a, in that background, how can, how can you have a renewal? So thank God we're in orthodoxy. You know, please, Rosas, like we say, we, and you make the sign of the cross that you're in orthodoxy and then you this point. Praise God. That's why the charismatic renewal is intended by God to come home where it belongs, where? In the orthodox church. Amen. Praise God. not come except for come of falling away first. There's another aspect, a second aspect of the falling away. Pay attention to this. The other aspect is religious formalism. Number two, religious formalism. What does religious formalism refer to? Holding to the form of religion like Paul says, denying the power of their In other words, having all the doctrines intact, but going through all the motions of religion without ever experiencing any spiritual internal power for our lives in our hearts. Which church is guilty of this second aspect? I give you two guesses. That's right. The very Orthodox Church I was saying that we should be proud that we're in is guilty today of what religious Let's everyone say that religious formalism denied holy to the power of religion, Paul says, denies the power thereof. What power? Power of what? Actually, of the Holy Spirit. That's why today you talk to people about the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. The Spirit is coming to be in power. You, you tell a friend, they look at you, what is this? Exactly 
what Saint Simeon the New Theologian was accused of. He was accused of heresy. And what was his heresy? That people don't receive the Holy Spirit in our day. Simeon. These things don't happen. They used to happen with the apostles. They were, they were spirit-filled. They were holy. They were men of virtue of holiness. But, in, but in, they told Simeon, but in, these things don't happen. We don't have these kind of people around anymore of holiness. Simeon, what is this? What are you trying to prove? Trying to be holier than thou? What is this? What are you trying to, are you trying to prove? Trying to be a, some kind of a father of the church? Are you trying to emulate the church fathers? Are you trying to be equal to the church fathers? What arrogance is this? And Simeon was proclaiming the simple message of what? Of the life-changing power of the gospel. And he was saying our lives must be changed to conform to the image of the Son of the living God. And yet he was condemned this man of God whose memory we are celebrating this weekend. You see why we identify with him? We can identify with him. He speaks our language. It's as if he's living in our own day. Say, when you read St. Simeon, you feel like he's uh, right here in your uh, prayer group. He's sitting close together. What you are suffering today and I'm suffering, he suffered Amen. a thousand years ago when he started his renewal program. And he was all alone then. But thank God that we have a forerunner, Prothromos. Forerunner of the renewal in the name, in the person and testimony of saints in the New Theologian, who has left not only his name, but he's left a testimony, his books, and his writings, and his teachings that are anointed. For me, the writings of St. Simeon are second to the Bible. My second Bible are the writings of St. Simeon the Theologian. After I read my scriptures at night, I love to sit down and to read St. Simeon. I mean, he's a man of my, after my own heart. I mean, we're on the same spiritual frequency, on the same spiritual wavelength. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Except there come a falling away first. So the apostasia has taken on two, two aspects. Now pay attention to this. Religious formalism and religious liberalism. Now which is the worst of the two? Well, I often think about that. And I think the Lord has shown me that they're both equally disastrous. Because Paul says, while the letter killeth, the spirit giveth life. Well, the, the letter kills, the letter what? Of the law. The letter of religion kills, the, the, the spirit gives life. So, in other words, formalism can do what? Kills. kills. Now, what does it mean to kill? It kills spiritually. And what does it mean to kill spiritually? What does spiritually killing mean? Think about it. Separate you from God. Separate you from heaven. Separate you from eternity. Separate you from salvation. Think about it. That's serious. And that's the way the devil is fighting the church today. And he's saying, have your doctrines. Have your teachings. Have your beautiful liturgy. As long as they don't change anybody's life, Amen. 
is happy. Right. You can have your creeds. Yep. You can sit there and say, I believe in one God the Father and run off the, the creed to your heart's content. And your hearts and your lives are not changed. Yes. Who cares? Even say it takes a back seat, takes a pew and he enjoys a service once in a while. <laughs> I never had trouble with Satan for the first four years. I had peace in all my meetings. After I got baptized in the Spirit and I started getting healings and deliverances in my meetings, all hell broke loose. I started making enemies then, real enemies. I'm not a battle on my hand. Why? Because Satan knew that I was challenging his authority and I was threatening his kingdom of darkness in the church. Praise the name of Jesus. So this is the apostasia. How many of you believe that this falling away is already at hand. I believe it's upon us already. I mean, we don't have to, we're not waiting for it. Are you waiting for some future event? We're living this reality. You've shown me in your own personal testimonies. You write me about these things. You telephone me about your disappointments, your frustrations, your conflicts. Well, you and I were part of the Part of this situation today in the church is conflict between the powers of light and the powers of darkness that are at work in the church. So we know what's going on. Satan is infiltrating the church of the living Christ. He's making inroads into the church. Can't you see it? The corruption that's in the church today, in every church, in every denomination today, Satan is at work today. Undermining the foundations of the church. Separating men from eternity from, from salvation. And he's allowing men to take over the church. Why? Because we allow, we allow Satan to take over. And God gives us the leaders that we deserve. When we can put up with them. Remember when the Jews of old, the Old Testament were told by God, when they told the Lord they wanted a king. They said, Lord, give us a king. And what did God tell them? Well, I'm your king. And what did they say? Well, no, it's not the same, Lord. You know, our neighbors have kings. We like to have a king we could see. You know, a king that we could feel tangible and visible. Like the Roman Catholics, they want a visible head of the church. They want a pope because, you know, they can see him. But you tell him, yes, but Christ is the head of the church. Well, yeah, but he's invisible. We can't survive on, on the invisible. And so we say, well, we're not like those terrible Roman Catholics. You don't have a pope. But unfortunately, we end up having what? Many popes. They are
bride of Christ? The church. Who is the church? Those who are redeemed in his precious blood. That he shed upon the cross of Jesus. That are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Whose names are written in the book of life. How many of How many have their names written in the book of life here tonight? Praise the name of Jesus. But Father Samuel, where's the bride of Christ? He's going to come back to take this decadent church. Well, think about it. Well, of course not. But he's going to take his small what? Remnants. So God is working together with, for, with what? With his small remnants. Many are called. Few are. Few are chosen. Many are baptized. Many are chrismated. Many take the communions. We have long communion lines in church. Doesn't mean a thing. We're not going to make it to heaven by how many times you get to the communion line. But it's how much you know Jesus, how much you've allowed him to turn your life around. Amen. It's how much you allow him to live his life in you and to die to self and to die to the flesh and to let him live and to supremely in your life. And to be willing to carry your cross and to sacrifice your own self-will. This is the church of the living Christ. So he's coming back for his few. And how about the rest of the church? Well, the Lord will judge them accordingly. Many are called who are chosen. But the book of the Revelation also tells us, I don't have time to get to there now, but that, that, that there shall rise in the last days, what? The great whore church, the great harlot church. What is the harlot church? The church that's faithless, that is no, is no longer faithful to her spouse. Who's the spouse of the church? The Lord Jesus Christ. But the moment there's no faithfulness there, the moment that spouse becomes adulter, adulteress, then there's no, there's no, uh, there's no bride of Christ. How can you, how can the bride be a bride and still be an adulterous uh, uh, relationship? And to be. Uh, uh, in adulterous relationships. So the church today, in many of its aspects, is in adulterous. It's going, looking around for strange gods, strange spouses, and turning her back to her only spouse, which is Jesus. Who's doing this? Satan. This is part of the end time work of Satan. Now listen to this. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition says here. Who is the man of sin? The Antichrist. He's going to be revealed. It says there, he's going to, in other words, he's going to be known, he's going to be disclosed to humanity. He's called the son of perdition. The Greek word for perdition is apolia, eos, apolia, apolia means a loss, in other words, eternal destruction, hell, in other words. Condemnation, eternal condemnation. Who is this Antichrist? Here's a description who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. So one thing the Antichrist is going to do as a world leader, as a world dictator, he's going to proclaim himself as a God. And he's going to exalt himself above every religion and above everybody that's called God in whatever religion it is. 
anybody that's worshipped, he's going to be above that object of worship. So that he as God sitteth in the temple, he will be sitting in the temple as high, as, as a God. He's going to make himself a God. And he's going to be sitting in the temple of God. What, what set of temple of God is this? In Jerusalem. By that time, the Jews will have built the temple of Solomon. And it's very likely that the Antichrist will be, well, as the great imposter, he will deceive the Jews in Israel and they will accept him as a true Messiah. Like Jesus said, uh, he will come in his own name and you shall receive him. I came in the name of my Father and you did not receive me. But he shall come in his own name and you shall receive him. And those words will come out true when the Jews accept the Antichrist. And it's very likely that he will help to have the temple built. And on the day of dedication, it's very likely, I'm not dogmatizing, but it's very likely that he will step into the Holy of Holies and shock and take the Jews by surprise. They will be in a state of utter shock when he steps in where nobody dares to step in except the high priest and the Holy of Holies. Showing himself that he is God. In fact, St. John Chrysostomus, one of the church fathers, says, and I've written this in one of my articles, that the Antichrist will be seated not only in the temple of Jerusalem, but you know what he says? You ready for this? In every church, in every temple, the Antichrist will be seated. Who is saying this? I'm not saying it. It was said in the 5th century, 400 AD, by the, one of the greatest saints of our church, Ioannis of Chrysostomus. You know who John Chrysostomus Remember these words, that Satan and the Antichrist will be seated in every church, he said. The Lord gave him that gift of foresight, prophetic vision for the end times. So are you surprised? You have problems in your church. Well, haven't you read the uh, Second Thessalonians? Have you read the second chapter of Second 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 Thessalonians? Remember ye not what when I was yet with you I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. Now, now listen to this, watch this, beloved brothers and sisters. Now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in this time. What does that mean? It means that God is restraining Satan so that he might not go beyond the timing that God has set in his uh, time clock for the end of, of history. Do you see what I'm trying to say? In other words, the Antichrist could, could, be, could have been revealed earlier, but God is restraining him. And he's letting him loose in his own timing. Remember that. And you know what's holding back the Antichrist? I believe it's the faithful few, the remnant. The, the faithfulness of the few believers who are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And what does salt usually do in olden times? Why salt was used to do what? To preserve uh, food from rotting from spoiling. So the Christians that are scattered
gathered in this uh, apostate world are like salt that's keeping the world from total uh, disintegration. You see what I'm trying to say? So God is using each one of you. You're a grain of salt. And you know how salt is? When you salt a food on your table, you don't put a heap of it, do you? On, a, on your steak, but what do you do? You scatter it. So God scatters us. That's why we're, you don't see each other very often. We're, God puts us where he wants us for, to, to, to function as the salt, the spiritual salt. And verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. What is the mystery of iniquity? It's the master plan of Satan. Let me say that again. The mystery of iniquity is the master plan of Satan. And it's already working. What is the master plan of Satan to take over the world? To win for himself the universal worship of mankind. This is the dream of Satan. To have everybody bow down to him. And you know the funniest thing is that God is allowing him to do this. Satan had this program sent out from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve. Remember where God prophesied that he would put enmity? He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? Jesus. Jesus. Who is the seed of the serpent? The Antichrist. So there's been a battle, a spiritual warfare in the heavenlies from the fall of Adam from the Garden of Eden and hence uh, between the powers of the Antichrist and the powers of Christ. What does the Antichrist want to do? He wants to usurp the position of the living Christ. He wants to be the Messiah. He's jealous. So his purpose will be to what? Counterfeit. Be a counterfeit? Christ. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. So, how, when was this spoken? Uh, it was spoken by the Apostle Paul back probably about the year 1680. That's pretty far away, isn't it? Pretty uh, long ago. Mm -hmm. The mystery of iniquity is already working, Paul says. Imagine in his own day, he hardly established the church of the Thessaloniki. And uh, the Antichrist program was at work. Now, if Paul could say that 2,000 years ago, how much more we can say in 1991? That the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Can you hear the word of God? So don't sit there and be surprised I'm having problems with my priest, I'm having problems with so-and-so and the board members and blah, blah, blah. This is uh, predicted by the Word of God. It's, it, we can't run away from it. All we can do is to remain faithful to Jesus and to receive what? That extraordinary provision that He is fortifying us with. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. We won't make it in this end time without that extraordinary provision from heaven of the Holy Spirit. We won't be able to survive spiritually with the, our conventional religious means. 
And I even say with the sacraments of the church, the way they're performed today, uh, they become so mechanical that they're not going to be effective. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that the sacraments can become what? Real and uh, efficacious and activated so they may release that spiritual power they were designed to release in our lives. But the sacraments are not some kind of sublime religious magic that can do their work on their own. No. In fact, if anything, the sacraments can do what? They can condemn us. If we receive communion unworthily, we receive condemnation, the Apostle Paul says. So the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Let's everyone say this with me. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. In other words, the Holy Spirit is uh, restraining Satan, but once uh, Jesus comes, uh, then uh, Satan will be let loose. In other words, uh, we will be going from uh, bad to worse. For it says there, for iniquity shall multiply. Didn't Jesus say? In uh, his Mount uh, Olivet discourse, he said, the, the love of many shall wax cold, and, the and uh, iniquity shall multiply. Is the world getting better day by day? No. Some people say we're getting better and better. But my Bible says, iniquity shall increase, multiply. And the mystery of iniquity will also expand in unfold increasingly as the years go by. You haven't seen anything. Our, work, our society has become uh, a sewage. Uh, corruption, wherever we turn, it's corruption, sinfulness, uh, moral decadence, sexual decadence. Wherever you turn, in any, any institution of society today. Uh, things that we didn't dream of seeing when I was a teenager. Today you see today, it, everything goes today. I don't want to start cataloging the evils. You live it, you see it in the newspapers, in the, in the public media. Wherever we turn our eyes, our attention, we're exposed to what? The powers of darkness. It's the power of darkness is closing in on us, my beloved. I live this, I sense it. God has made my spirit sensitive to the spirit of darkness that's closing in on me. And not in the world, but in the church. That's where it's more painful. Amen. That's where it's more painful. Amen. And then it says here, uh, listen to this, I'm going to skip down to verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them Strong, what? Delusion. That they should believe a lie. God shall send them. Who's the them? God shall send to the church, to the members of the church, who are unfaithful. He will send them strong delusions. That they should believe a lie. In other words, God will condemn 
the church who are baptized Christians for leaving their first love and he will send them strong delusion. What does that mean, strong delusion? A, a spirit of evil. So that they might believe uh, a lie. They would, they would believe a lie as a truth. They will accept a lie as a truth. In other words, listen to this, my beloved. Pay attention to this. This is ultimate judgment. Ultimate. <coughs> ultimate judgment of God upon the church people. In other words, the time will come. Listen to this. When men and women in the church will not be able to believe. Do you hear me? Even if they wanted to believe, they will cease to have the capacity to believe. According to this particular scripture, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's the ultimate in God's judgment. In other words, God is going to blind them. Is it saying like we say in Greek, it's Easter? Says the prophet you want, you are the anointed. So don't be surprised that they that day is not here already. And what is that lie? What is that lie that they shall believe? Pay attention to this, my brothers and sisters. What is that lie? It is the lie of Antichrist. What does Antichrist mean? What does anti, anti, Antichrist? It means instead of Christ. It doesn't say against Christ. It mean against Christ. Instead of Christ, what will be the trick of Satan in the in the end time? He's not going to fight religion. He's not going to come out in the open and fight Christ and say, "Oh, don't believe in Christ." No. Already, I pointed out that he will bring about a religious formalism, and he'll say, "Have your Christ the way you got him." It's beautiful. Keep him like that. And you know, I'm satisfied. And I'm going to tell you something else. Satan says, and besides, well, I believe in peace too. You want peace. We need peace in this war-torn world. And the Antichrist will say, I will bring peace in order in this uh, disruptive world and this war-torn world. What is the world looking for today? Peace, harmony, uh, and order. Right. Order. Law and order. You can't go out in the streets anymore without being mugged. I had a 70-year-old mother, she was mugged three times uh, on the streets of Detroit. The daytime, right in the middle of the daytime. It's not safe anymore. We need somebody. We need somebody. We need peace. We need safety. And Paul says, when you hear peace, peace, when you hear peace, peace, suddenly cometh the destruction. What will the message of the Antichrist be? War, war? No! You will 
why we're getting rid of our uh, nuclear armaments. No, weaponry. Why? Because, well, if we destroy planet Earth, uh, Satan won't have any, any, any world to, to rule over. He's not going to work, rule over a heap of ashes. No, he's smart. So, even though for a while there, I was even believing that Satan was going to entangle this world into the nuclear holocaust. But then the Lord showed me, he said, no, Satan's smarter than that. He wants a kingdom. He wants living people. He wants to take the, this urban society of ours and rule it. The kingdoms on, on earth. He wants them to be his kingdoms. <coughs> he is already the prince of this world, but he's going to go all the way completely. He's going to take over and, and the Lord, what is the Lord doing? But Father, he isn't, uh, where's the Lord? Isn't he doing something about these things? Well, of course he's, he's doing it because Jesus Christ is going to have what? The last word. What's going to happen? Well, Jesus will appear, will come in the clouds of glory. And he's going to uh, destroy, by the word of his mouth, he will destroy the Antichrist and cast him into the pit of destruction, the pit of hell. And then Jesus will come and set his kingdom upon earth. I don't have time tonight to get into all the details. But what I'm trying to carry across tonight as the Lord lays upon my heart is the reality, my beloved, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh today. He's pouring out His Spirit, not so that we might feel better inside, but that we might survive spiritually. My beloved, it isn't enough. We're not going to make it to heaven just on our goodness, in our being decent and polite, and uh, active in our churches. We need to be fired up for Jesus. The Lord is looking for those who are, are inflamed with a passion for Him, who are consumed with Him. He's important today. And the Lord is making this more and more real to me that I have to come closer and closer to Jesus. And I tell Jesus, I don't have enough of you, Lord. I need to have you more and more in my life. Uh, you might be involved in your, in your secular occupations to make a living. Of course, we're involved in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen. But we're pilgrims passing through. But we need to know to be alert always. And wherever we are, to witness to the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because the Lord says, you shall receive power from on high. You shall be witnesses unto me. So what's the purpose of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? That we may be witnesses for Christ, effective witnesses, powerful, that we may impact the world around us by that power which is inside of us. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within us. We carry the kingdom of God around, around us. And we need to witness to Christ and to be apostolic in our house. And the apostles went out into the world and they received that endowment, that endowment from a power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit, which transformed those 12 fishermen. And Jesus wants to transform you and me and to make us, to make us heralds and preachers of the gospel. And I want to close tonight on this particular note. Because
because I like to talk in specifics. I don't want to talk in religious abstractions and just to throw out to you some religious principles that sound very noble and very sublime. But I want you to pick up on some of these practical considerations that what we need in the renewal today are prophets and, and preachers and apostles, lay, lay preachers, lay apostles, lay evangelists. That's what we need today. And all pouring of the Holy Spirit has as its purpose to raise up men of courage, men of valor, men of vision, men of faith, to receive the calling. Like Father Maxine mentioned, the gifts of the Holy Spirit earlier this afternoon. Well, there are ministry gifts, and, uh, and the Lord wants to endow many in the church with his ministry gifts, but uh, God wants to start the renewal down in the lower echelons, in the, at the grassroots level of the church. He's not starting the renewal with, with us ordained clergy, with bishops and patriarchs. He knows he can't get through. And he's working with simple ladies, <coughs> simple housewives, simple uh, men uh, and women in the church. And this is why in the Roman Catholic Church, why is the renewal so thriving in the Roman Catholic Church? Because the lay people have listened to the call of God. Do you know that the Roman Catholic renewal today is thriving throughout the world today? And we're dragging our feet. You know why? Because they listen when the Lord is speaking. And the men in the Roman Catholic renewal have taken over the renewal, the leadership. Laymen and young men at that. Not theologians. They have never seen the inside of a seminary. And yet they've authored books on the renewal on the Holy Spirit. And priests have sat at the feet of laymen in the renewal groups. They require priests to be discipled by these lay leaders. Hallelujah. And yet in our own church, we look around for a leadership and we say, well, Father, so-and-so isn't doing anything. He's not responding. This priest is fighting us, conflicting with us. My beloved, I have to tell you something. It's time to stop leaning on your priest. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Yes. If you believe He can, then uh, He will furnish a table in your wilderness back home, in your spiritual wilderness. But in order to get to find that table, you have to seek the Lord. Amen. Uh, you know the, the Israelites were going through their, their wilderness out of Egypt, remember? And God met their needs in that wilderness. We're all going through a wilderness experience. But God hasn't forsaken us, has He? No, but He's looking for leaders. He found Moses. Moses led the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So He's, he's looking for men today to, to exercise leadership in, in ministries, to be evangelists and preachers and teachers. Where are they? Where are they? I shouldn't be in the renewal ministry in a leadership capacity. I don't think I was God's first choice. I think God's first choice was some layman, but somebody disobeyed. Yeah. 
And so he put me in as a necessary evil to fill in for the disobedience of some layman who refused. I'll never forget Catherine Kuhlman. Remember this Pentecostal lady? She always used to say that about her own ministry. I'll never forget it. I used to go up on the stage and sit with the other ministers. And she turned to us and said, one of you should have been here where I am. She said, I have no business being here, she used to say. But I'm here only because one of you have failed to listen to the, to the body of the Lord. So I, I say the same thing. It says there, and I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It doesn't say priests. He leaves out the priests. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, he has mercy on us priests, too. And once in a while, he, he might use some of us, too, if we're listening. But the hour is here, my beloved, when we need to respond to this call. The Lord has made this so so vivid to me in my spirit the disobedience and the renewal for the calling uh, of God upon men and those men that have assumed now listen to this those men and there are some who have assumed a ministry of preaching have not remained uh, patiently to the end but they left the church at the first uh, sign of resistance, you see. So those that have been, who have come into a ministry of evangelism have not remained in the Orthodox Church. They give up easily and they take off. And as a result, we have no lay ministry. You don't realize that we're the, we're the only church in a renewal without lay, a lay ministry? Greece today is full of lay renewal brothers and organizations. By rights, there should be a lay center, renewal center in every urban, urban center in this country. Amen. Which should be an interparochial, not belonging to any parish. Just a separate, independent, lay-run uh, renewal uh, center. But what we need is courage and vision and obedience to step out in faith. We're not stepping out in faith. Here I am, one single priest. I'm not saying it to boast, but I'm saying it as an example. One single priest, I have the whole world against me. And yet, because I had faith, I stepped out of it for the impossible. And we have a chapel here today, and we have a renewal center. I'm not boasting, but I'm boasting in the, in the Lord. I'm boasting in the Lord. And I am calling upon you, my beloved. This is the hour of God for His church. This is His hour of restoration for the church. Jesus loves us and He's pouring out His Holy Spirit upon us. He's starting with His household of faith first. He's starting with the judgment shall begin, it says there, shall begin with the household of God. With the house of God. Uh, you know, we can say, look at the world today. Look at the government. Look at the schools. You know what God is saying? Look at the church. Amen. We are the salt of the earth. So my beloved, it's time to uh, step out in faith. I'm going to ask you to stand up tonight and tell the Lord. Tell Him that you're ready for a new decision. This is the hour of decision. When you leave from here, 
leave with a new resolve and a new determination, a new experience of the call of Jesus. Your families are at stake. Your children, I feel sorry for parents today that are raising children. The world that they're growing up into, the, the school system in which they're being educated today, what they're exposed to, the filth and the corruption of our society. The finances, the economy of this country is uh, unstable. We never know when a, a financial crisis will come, when we can lose everything we have. So whatever we have now, we need to invest it in the kingdom of God. You hear me? Don't take for granted that the banks that are carrying your money will always be there with a teller smiling at you this morning. <laughs> How much money you want to withdraw? Yes. Already banks are closing. I'm not glad. It's not a laughing matter. We need to mean business with God. Our finances, our, our, our business, our future, our business, we have to make wise decisions. Uh, we're, we're facing a critical hour. We need to invest what we have in the kingdom of God. Don't hoard your money. Don't invest it in property. You don't have anything, you don't know how to invest your money, invest it in the kingdom of God. Praise God. And I want to show the good example. Whatever I have, I've had, I've invested here. Remember I told you, I built this chapel with my own personal funds. Whatever I had, everything I had between me and starvation, I gave it for the Lord. And you're looking at someone that didn't have a salary, was never on a payroll. So God works in mysterious ways. I'm on Social Security today, and yet I give of my energy, my time, my everything. I live for Jesus. Can you follow me? Can you follow me, my beloved? Be imitators of me as I am imitator of Christ. Praise his holy name. Let's end tonight with a fresh commitment to him. Let's reach out to, to have our needs met tonight. Some of you may have a physical need. I'd like to anoint with oil. Come up here. Some of you may have a need for deliverance. I'd like to minister to you before at the end of this day so that we might be ready tomorrow to receive of the body and blood of Christ at the altar, worthily, as cleansed vessels, to be refreshed and renewed in that holy, at the holy table, at the table of the, of the Lord. Oh, praise His holy name. We're going to be at Calvary tomorrow again. Because it says there, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you declare the death of the Lord till He comes. So tomorrow morning we're going to declare the death of we're going to be at the Last Supper. We're going to see Jesus on the cross shedding his precious blood. We're going to be receiving of the cup of salvation. Praise his holy name. And declaring his return again in glory. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Oh, I praise God for each and every one of you tonight. I love you for the love that he puts into my heart. And I love brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Blessed be his holy name. Father. Let's all put our hands up to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the end of this day. We thank you for blessing us, oh Jesus. Blessing us so mightily today. Oh, you've been so wonderful. 
Lord, you send us Father Maxime and you send us our brother Charles Ashenine to bless us, Lord. Jesus, you send, uh, Lord, to the Renewal Center those that you wanted, our brothers and sisters, to share their personal testimonies, Lord. You are touching lives, Jesus. Lord, you care for us. We cast our cares upon you for you care for us. Be anxious for nothing you were Lord, touch each and every one here tonight as we bring this day to a close, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, manifest your power here tonight before we manifest your healing and deliverance power. 